0: What are you
1: doing over there, buddy?
0: Just, I don't know, playing with this. If there's knobs in front of me, I'm going to start turning
1: them. So you think DNS has been abstracted away from developers yet? No, because we just did it. I barely had to know about it, though. There's nothing. No, 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 no. I'm on a need-to-know basis. (laughs) (laughs) There were three people looking at the screen wondering which buttons to click, so no, it hasn't. I can't wait until it is. I would like to read a networking book. There's this book that I remember getting recommended to me. Um, that that explained all this stuff because I've just never I, I do do that on purpose need to know basis and just enough to get by but it, sometimes it's like okay once it comes up three or four times and I literally feel like I'm looking at a physics book and I've never taken physics class then it mm. starts to feel a little uncomfortable DNS is weird <laughs> DNS it's like it's like outdated technology
0: it's like weird it's like not secure it's plain text hmm. it's there's a bunch of weird things it. Is there it. anything gonna replace it. That I think there's been a few attempts i think mm-hmm. there's been like d n s sec that never went anywhere and and I don't really know the status of of all the things but yeah it, it's just old it's just yeah it's legacy tech i mean i guess i i guess there's a difference between like i'm managing a domain with thousands of records and a whole bunch of different app servers and 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 uh email servers and all that and um I want to set up my block one website, one URL, one record. Yes. And so it it seems like the, um, the full thing is often exposed to us no matter what what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the answer is. There's also a lot of parties involved, right? You have your register, you have the person that hosts your zone and then you have the the actual server that you're, you're pointing to. Mm -hmm. Um, so coordinating across all those is, you know, it's hard to, to,
1: to um, optimize that process. Yeah, and make it feel like a seamless yeah. kind of experience. Yep. We're recording at two different frame rates, so that'll be interesting. But I'm okay with that. Not frame rates, shutter speeds. Wait, should we just flip the I'm thing? I'm at 1 sh- over 60, and you're at 1 over 30. Oh, but they're, but they're constant, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. the rate's going to be the same. They're both 30 frames per second, but the shutter speed's different. So you might look like a little shaky cam or something like that. Nice. Who knows? Too many moving parts and everything, man. Yeah. Domain names, cameras. <laughs> I just want one button to do my whole life for me. Just wait, push wait. one button and everything's taken care of. It wouldn't
0: of. surprise me if these cameras had a DNS server built <laughs> into them.
1: My voice is lower than yours today. Low. Nice. I had a stogie on a Thursday. It's pretty good. Um, we've been playing with Gatsby. Actually, by the time that this episode comes out, we should have miragejs.com live on the web. We will. We will. Yes. So you should be able to go to miragejs.com and see what we've been working on, which is extracting out um, the core of Mirage to be used outside of Ember. And um, that's for a number of reasons, which we'll kind of get to in the next episode where where we'll focus on Mirage. But um, the ultimate goal is to make Mirage better for Ember users and make it better for non-Ember users, too. So that's kind of uh, been some of the work we've been doing. But um, we decided to build that site with Gatsby as an excuse to kind of use it and, and play with some new tech. And, you know, Gatsby kind of bills itself as being good for making fast websites that are simple. And this is like a pretty simple kind of landing page right now. So we figured it would be good. Yeah. I, um, You're I'm, the one I'm, who got it set up. I'm thrilled with our choice
0: of Gatsby. Um, going into it, I just kind of knew that like, oh, Gatsby's good for content sites or, or good for like your personal blog. I know I know Dan Abramoff has his blog on. is a Gatsby app. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of all I knew. Mm-hmm. And then having. We've been using it for what? Like two weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, having done this for two weeks. I'm, I'm super happy with the choice. So that's that's always like a good feeling. When you get better and better. You know. You feel better and better about your tech stack. Yep. Um, I guess before. Like I should kind of describe. Like what Gatsby is. How it's different from like. Something like Ember. Mm-hmm. Or Rails. Um. So Gatsby is, it's a, would you call it like a static site generator? Yeah, basically. At its core. Yeah. Um, But you write your site as basically a React app um, with a bunch of Gatsby. You know, Gatsby provides like a whole bunch of plugins um, and a whole bunch of default components uh, and a whole like build pipeline for you. Uh, But you're writing a React app. And then they
1: take that and they generate a static site from it you know it's confusing already confusing yeah is that ember is a static site generator or at least ember cli is
0: no (laughs) no no but i would say no because so we define our terms ember see ember you're going to have an index.html file that is just like two script tags you know just right i'm being hand wavy here but that's what you end up with for every single page on your site and then when like the when the browser downloads that index.html and runs the JavaScript, it kind of figures out based on the URL, oh, what should I render? Right. Uh, but with Gatsby, it's separate. You when you build your
1: app, you're going to have HTML files for, for every route for every route, every URL. Yes. So yeah. So just to to be yeah more specific, I guess it is true that a static site is one that. Is just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript in one definition, right? So like when the first static site generators come out, like Jekyll um, and Middleman, um, they emphasize static site generator because it wasn't a runtime Ruby process that was processing your requests. No, no app server. No app server, exactly. A content server, yes. which is able to serve up. Now, we've used a content server to serve up our Ember apps, yes. so that's kind of the point you were making, which is that you serve up an app but you can do it from a content server without an app server because you can just do it statically everybody gets the same static files yep. so gatsby doesn't call itself a static site generator because that would be kind of confusing right because like technically an spa that gets served up from a content server is also a static site but like usually don't think of it like that um so what does it actually call itself it's i don't know some but basically the point is you know the distinction here is kind of what you made Listen, we do development, not, not marketing. Not yeah, marketing. Been, yeah. So the the difference is, right, is that um, whereas Ember is an SPA and every single route, it's going to have to download, execute the JavaScript before, like you said, the Ember app figures out kind of which route to render and then the JavaScript is going to be rendering it. You know, um, basically if you use something like Prember in Ember and took it and re-render, pre-rendered all of the routes such that you actually had, you know, real html and css that had the content in it instead of just being bootstrap files that loaded the ember app that would be kind of the equivalent to what gatsby is gatsby is actually like that from the ground up that was the whole point of gatsby from the beginning yes yes
0: i and the Prember, great great mentioning that because if you were to build something like gatsby in ember that's sort of the road that you would go down right
1: there are some cool things that come from this being the kind of the what is it the reason for living the raisin day or whatever well, for example, if you have an Ember app and you try to start adding Prember and Fastboot, right? Because Prember uses Fastboot to render it ahead of time. And there's something that's broken during the build, the pre-rendering stage that's happening in Node. And it's because you're accessing something that's meant for the browser and it doesn't work in Node. You're not going to necessarily understand why right away. But Gatsby from the beginning is about building like Node-generated static html and css and so if you are in a react app and try to access window they have a really nice build time error message that tells you and it gives you a nice link to a website that says oh here's why this thing might have happened you know you're it's understandable you're writing react code and you might be used to expecting to be in a browser environment but actually you're being run in a node environment right now yeah so those are like some of the, the the gotchas that when you start using things like fastboot and Prember get you in ember, but this kind of have that has that whole development flow streamlined. Yes, yeah, I mean this is their laser focus, so they get to
0: optimize for for all this stuff and and not have to worry about other things. Right. Right.
1: So, yes. Exactly. So that's pretty interesting, and it's true. And you actually can, you actually do go pretty far, like not really. You know, because that's kind of still a mind bendy thing, but like you don't really think about it.
0: Well, we didn't think about
1: it for the first, what, week and a half? Yeah. And then we actually added, you know, Mirage, like the the actual extracted package, which happens to depend on some browser APIs. And um, that was the thing that actually broke the app in the pre-rendering stage. Yeah. And Gatsby Develop was working, but then it was broken on production because of the pre-rendering stage. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, uh right because we didn't notice it so we tried to run gatsby belt yeah so that's yes. kind of interesting where like gatsby develop is not actually going to flex that it's not actually gonna it kind of serves up something different than what's going to be served up in production but makes for a better development experience mm-hmm. so kind of interesting though it's just, it's just interesting seeing a lot of the parallels between the stuff we've been doing the last two years with ember and fastboot and gatsby yeah. the other cool thing about Gatsby, there's a lot of cool things about gatsby um The plugins stuff is really neat you know gatsby is intentionally very low level so things that um you would maybe like in ember you've come to expect like really easy one or two you know step processes to get something in your app In gatsby a lot of times like i want to do x and like i'm gonna have to kind of go look at some plugins and read some documentation like understand a little bit more about how it works but because they've spent so much time on the kind of lower level primitives and making sure it's flexible. Um, there's like a pretty big ecosystem there and there's like a lot of packages, you know, that are like thriving and there's basically like you can do whatever you want. You never kind of feel like you are stuck or limited or hit a wall and you can't go further because the, those low level things are so well documented and exposed. That's kind of like their, their focus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and to add to that, this was one of the things I really enjoyed about using Gatsby was that, um, The plugins were really easy to search for. They Mm -hmm. have a they have a website that's just dedicated, and it's this fast SBA. And it was it was funny. I was just I would search for something, find something. I'd just be like, oh, I wonder if like this other thing exists, or I can do this. And I I was just discovering all these add-ons by doing that. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, uh, you know, you said they're they're like really low level. um, And I totally totally agree there. The there's a bunch of official um Gatsby recommended Mm add-ons and those things like I always felt great even though they were low level I always felt great about using those they had like excellent documentation right um you know I kind of know that if they're official as for as long as like Gatsby's around I kind of my expectation is this thing's going to be supported right it's not just one person that's just going to fall off the face of the earth totally um you know like some GitHub you know some GitHub especially like lower level libraries that you end up using so uh was like the markdown one was that one of the official ones i you know for the first week i was using it i would only install official add-ons and i think we we ended up doing like purge css and i kind of like went back and forth for like two days because it wasn't an official add-on um we ended up using it and and it's it's been great yeah um but yeah i really like seeing that you know this is an official add-on like that that made me feel
1: really good like it just made me feel like okay uh Can install this and not worry about it. Totally, totally. You know, I think one thing we've learned over the last three or four years, kind of working together, working on open source, building Ember apps, seeing how Ember itself has developed, and then seeing, you know, things like React and Gatsby be very large ecosystems that are are popular and and used for a diverse set of of needs and use cases is that, um, you know, ultimately, as much as we love the higher level APIs and the idea of like this really golden happy path for the customer. You know, there's something about um, being honest with yourself and exposing low-level APIs. I think that's super important. So, you know, even using Gatsby and realizing, like, yeah, it's, it would be nice. Like, I want to blog with, like, custom styles and markdown and, like, text snippets. And, like, it would be great if that was just done for me. And it's not. Like, you, you have to wire together some plugins. But, like, you also just never, like we said, get, get stuck anywhere. And even the things that you wire together are, like, even though you are technically kind of dropping down one level... A lot of times it's like four lines of code yeah. and it's extremely well documented. And I think ultimately it's just a better patch. It's just a better path um, forward in terms of keeping your, if you care about the technology you're working on and care about the sustainability, being honest about which part of the, which, what scope of the problem set you can actually commit to. And so it just seems way better for the Gatsby team, even with the plugins being plugins and not part of the core. If it turns out that they can't support, like maybe the Markdown plugin is too hard to get right. And so then they just, you know, that's like not an official plugin anymore. They just say, we need someone to take over this. And that's way better than just letting it languish on like an official site. Like what if the Markdown thing was built into Gatsby core? It's not going to get the attention that it deserves, right? Because they have, they also have to compete between the core stuff and the Markdown stuff. So it just makes me think of like some of the satellite projects with, you know, things we've done or, or Ember projects. Like when you don't have ownership of them, they can just, it can just languish, right? And they can just kind of stagnate. Uh, so you're, you're okay. So you're saying that because the thing is
0: not part of the library, it doesn't, it forces the library to expose. It forces yes. Gatsby to expose low-level hooks. So or low-level primitives so that you can do things like markdown rendering and image resizing and all all the things and that allows you to build up this ecosystem of
1: very low level but um doable plugins powerful plugins yeah and it is undeniably a trade-off if the gatsby team built in markdown parsing and um, purge css and image magic resizing stuff into gatsby core it would be an easier and better process um out of the box than what we had to do everything you just mentioned was about a day half a day for us to set up right exactly the problem is that eventually you just, that becomes an overwhelming problem space and you can't commit to support it. So I've been thinking about this also because, you know, as we're extracting out Mirage's core, um, we have a, bi- a backlog of features that I haven't worked on for years. People have been asking. And so, again, that's the very real trade off where it's like, it's awesome the features that are in Mirage that are baked in. And uh, it's great. You can just import active model serializer and you don't have to install anything else. You don't have to read how to like add a plugin to Mirage and like configure your Mirage plugin pipeline. Like there's none of that. So that's nice that you can just import it from Mirage or Mirage or whatever. But at the flip side of that, the cost is like there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been built yet. And so thinking forward and wanting, you know, even projects like Mirage or anything else that we work on to be more of this i just think it's better to think about okay what are the actual low-level pieces what if mirage was like the middleware style with like an express and then we have some official mirage plugins like the json api serializer the active model serializer what if the orm is a layer but people can bring their own um and then you think about exposing those things making the core much much smaller and very well documented and um, extensible and then um that's it right because people have already made like add-ons for like mirage graphql And they're just having to do that themselves based on their intimate knowledge of how Mirage works. But if there was like proper APIs that were lower level and exposed, it would be a lot easier for them.
0: Yeah. And you, you just said, you know, one of your points there was like very well documented. And I think that that's a huge thing with this Gatsby stuff where like, I, I don't know about you, but I never really felt stuck at any point. Yeah. Like I did feel like I was doing a lot of configuration, yes. but it was never, I was never debugging. Yes. I was yes. never like throwing in a debugger and, and like inspecting POJOs and seeing how to wire things up. So the wiring up felt way less painful. Yep. You know, I was copying stuff off. I was reading blog posts, trying to understand how it worked and then, you know, setting some props in a config file. Right. Right. Um, but I always felt like I was moving forward, which was. Um yeah, it's a really good feeling.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good really good insight. Um the experience I had with it that was along those lines was about um the build time data stuff with the GraphQL server. And we can talk more about that in a second. Yep. But basically in the the equivalent in Ember is um you know, in Ember add-ons can kind of um can read data at on the file system level and make it available to the host. So like the simplest case of this is let's say an add-on that imports a node module and makes it importable by like require JS in the browser, in the browser for the Ember app. But like we do a lot more things with our add-ons, right? Like, um, you know, even like the markdown, even like what add-on docs does where it looks at your markdown files or it reads your code and it looks and it runs like all the code comments through the JS doc stuff or the ES doc stuff and then provides as JSON to the thing. So that whole idea of like, I'm going to install an add-on and this add-on is going to like scrape your source directory read your code comments turn into structure json and then provide it in a way such that the host app can consume it and know how to get it um that's a very complex process and in an ember right now not many people know how to do that because it's not very well documented the lower level stuff isn't really um it's exposed but it's just not documented that well and You know, you end up kind of just using code search on Ember Observer or pinging like the handful of people who kind of do this, or looking at popular atoms that do this. But it's not like a first party thing. You certainly can't just Google for this thing. Whereas this is like because Gatsby is lower level, this is a very well documented part with the primitives kind of been thought through, iterated on, you know, multiple times. And so I wanted to do something similar where I wanted to take like I wanted the snippets directory in our app and just to throw some snippets in there and grab them and make sure that i could transform them and add syntax highlighting with prism and do all that stuff and it was like a quick google and a documentation page and you know i tweeted about this there's like a four or five line node function that does the back end part and it adds it to like the stock of data that's available to your react app to query and then the query part was like this query that was the same way you query any data which is with graphql and so that was an example of like how, yeah, this is lower level tinkering that I typically like to avoid if possible, obviously, if things work for you. But that being the alternative to just you being stuck and feeling like you don't know what the next step is, is the insight you mentioned, I think that was, that was really like hit home for me. So it's like, do I want someone with, with, who has a GraphQL app to be able to install Mirage and just have it work for them without any extra steps? Yeah, ideally, but like, that's not the trade-off. The trade-off is like not having it at all. Versus having some maybe someone else wrote something, or it's not quite exactly how I'd write it, but that's fine, you know. And then Mm -hmm. they don't get stuck. I mean, the nice thing about about designing the plugin interface
0: or those lower level primitives is maybe you can you can nudge them in the right direction because right now the the, I'm sure folks that are writing like (coughs) GraphQL adapters for Mirage are just they're going to town, right? Exactly because they have to they have to basically scan the code base and find every little hole that they can kind of dig into Yep. but, but you know if, if there was like that lower level thing
1: yep you could nudge them towards oh do it like this totally i mean i'm just thinking kind of off the top of my head um you know ember data obviously has a ton of stuff that the team wants to do what would it look like if the data layer in ember or even ember data itself you know didn't try to be as ambitious in the beginning and just nailed some of the lower level stuff um what if the orm was like decoupled from like the identity map part of it or like the query interface what if like the query themselves was like something that was more exposed and um, of course you can configure a lot of ember data but it also makes a lot of assumptions um what about ember animated like ember animated there's lots of like open issues right now for like little edge cases what if you know instead of going straight to the animators and like dropping in animated each which is incredible like that is the api you want to end up with but what if you allocated time away from that and towards the first things which are like just holding a thing in place while you move from one thing to another or like the, the motion class or the easing like the most there's a motion class that you use and like just making that something that's more well documented and available or um, like some of the other lower level primitives. And it's going to again going to be more wiring and more coding to get those things working but you're going to build people are going to build up the higher level abstractions on top of it so
0: interesting i wonder if as ember developers we we get stuck in the mode of like i want to build the thing that just works
1: perfectly for everyone i definitely think we do i I think it's kind of part of our part of our values is that we should feel empowered by our tools and what we mean by that is like people who Aren't as familiar or intimately knowledgeable about a thing can do something they couldn't before, and certainly I feel like that with Ember Animated. When I drop an animated each and I have no idea how it's working, it's great, and it's not great when you hit a roadblock and there's no way out of it, right? Um, or with Fastboot, right? It's the same thing. Like again, this the golden path that you start with is like ideal in your mind. Like install Ember fast Fastboot, do this thing, and like you just have it working. But like the reality is, you need you hit walls and you need to dive down. So maybe it's better to start with. The primitives first, and so it's just about you know, it's just about the fact that it takes time to get there, and the end result will be different. It won't be as smooth as you'd like, but the alternative might not be the smooth thing. The alternative might be running out of resources, not sustaining the project, or never being able to do the the vision that you had. Yeah. So or, or, or yeah, just ending up like I know some stuff I've written. I'm, you know.
0: I get the API wrong, it's high level, mm-hmm. and then I want to be backwards compatible. Right. And now it's just like, boom, tons of maintenance work. Right.
1: So, yeah. And I guess technically, like, higher level APIs should be easier to like change the internal implementation. But, like, the problem is if you get it wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's is. the real thing. Yes. So I think it's better to like, you know redux was like done after he finished after dan finished working on it even though it was extremely low level and people have built a ton of stuff on top because it needs to solve all these other things asynchronous middleware thunks and you know uh, all sorts of things um that one could argue should be part of redux but they're not and it's because yeah it's just the reality is like we don't get to it's too hard to build the last thing the last x and just have it work it's I think it's it's just too hard to do that, and things change fast. So it's better to say, we don't know what's going to be around in a year or two or three or four or five. And so this time, here's one little way we can contribute. We want to make a dent like this, and here's the smallest way we can do it. Let's put it out there and see what happens.
0: I like that.
1: I like that because you definitely do want to build the last X. You want to yeah. build the last yes. data store identity yes. map, but it's really, really hard to do.
0: Yes. So I, I like that little that think of it like that
1: and so i think gatsby's embraced that philosophy and 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 because it's not going to be as easy or as nice to use as like wordpress like it's not wordpress is like way higher level you like browse things you push a button and now you have comments on your site like gatsby's not that even for a developer gatsby's not as nice as like um rails or ember right whereas rails is like Oh, you need to mail things? Oh, now you can test mails. You can send mails. Like, here's how you write tests against them. It's all extremely high-level and yeah. batteries included.
0: I mean, even something like Middleman is is right. way easier right. to write than, than Gatsby. But, you know, I think Gatsby definitely unlocks some stuff. Yes. So that's what makes it exciting. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey, everyone. So I want to take a quick break to thank a uh, sponsor for this week's episode. It's actually our first sponsor of the show. And that is TrueCoach. And TrueCoach is actually hiring Ember developers I got a chance to sit down with Alex Ford, their lead front-end engineer, and I wanted to share a bit of that conversation with you so you can hear about what they're looking for. Cool, man, what's the weather like over there? It's lovely. Just got into
2: the 80s. Wow. And it's late June. So tell me about the positions that you all are hiring for right now. We are um, looking to hire positions for our web team. So we're looking for Rails engineers, we're looking for Ember and JavaScript engineers,
1: What's the main thing that the app does? What does it, what does it look like and who uses it?
2: We provide a, a workout builder and a set of templates for you to create programs that you can assign and individualize for your client. And a client typically works from a mobile device, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a client, I'm in a gym, probably have spotty Wi-Fi, if any Wi-Fi whatsoever, and um, open up the app and I have a list of say, you know, seven or eight workouts to do that day with demo videos. and do them, maybe record myself, message my coach, hey, here are my results, this was super hard, I'd like to try this. And so we're really trying to solidify the communication gap and the feedback cycle between a coach and a client.
1: What would be one of the first things that a new Ember dev on the team would be working on?
2: We really love to start engineers off with testing. I'm hoping that by the time somebody starts, we get to focus on something from scratch. Mm -hmm. a Brand new feature we're looking at volume tracking, which means like tracking sets, reps, weight, tempo, and nutrition tracking, third-party integrations with, say, HealthKit and MyFitnessPal. Wow, you weren't kidding about the feature list that you all have. We just want to build application code. (laughs) Ember has solved so many of those hard problems for us that we can just really focus and hone in on that.
1: That's so cool. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to work at True Coach.
2: We hire honest and transparent people um, who love building a product and who are customer centric, but don't take themselves too seriously. Our co-founders are so bought into Ember, which for an Ember dev is fantastic. And they wanna continue to grow our Ember team, which is one of the more ambitious parts of, of our platform of our app
1: suite. Tell me a little bit about some of the actual, the people that you work with. I, you know, I know Casey, actually cool story about True Coach, which used to be called FitBot. Casey, the, the, the co-founder who was the original Ember engineer on the app, I still remember one of the first kind of big companies that for me was big of someone using Mirage in their Ember app. And that was FitBot and Casey. And he kind of sent me a Twitter message saying you know this was like soon after like Mirage first came out and he was like Fitbot is an Ember app that uses Mirage and I was like what and I like went to the website and I looked at I was like this is real like I can't believe that it's so cool and that's kind of oh, how, how cool. I yeah. first met uh, Casey and um, you know ever since we've we've hung out at the Ember comps and last year I got to hang out with all you all and uh, we had we had lunch together and it's it was an awesome team so yeah why don't you talk about some of the, the actual people you work with
2: one of my favorite people to work with is Emily. She was our um, our second Ember hire. It, it was it was so obvious that we need to hire her immediately um, <laughs> because of how great of a person it is and her her product knowledge just right out of the bat. And it's some it's someone who just picked up Ember, having known React from Code School, and just really ran with it. Worked on it for probably about a year and a half, and then jumped over to. Um, The react native
1: app that's really cool and i also think it's a testament to y'all's culture because not everyone who is fresh out of a boot camp can be successful at every job there's lots of places that aren't set up for those kinds of people to be successful so that tells me a lot about um, how y'all are supporting each other supporting new hires and um, the fact that someone can work there for you know multiple years and grow in their own career at one place i think is pretty unique these days and the whole team is there in boulder
2: we are, yeah. We're we're all here in Boulder, we're looking to hire in Boulder, in Colorado. Um, we've got a few folks who live in Denver. If you're um, into more of a bigger city scene, and we've got a flexible work from home policy, um, which tends to work really well for our team right now. So, it's really cool being in Colorado right now. At the Dinosaur JS conference, there was an electricity. It really feels like an emerging tech market.
1: If folks are interested and want to learn more about the job posting, where should they go?
2: I think just check out bit.ly slash truecoachdev. That's going to link you to our engineering culture. If you think that sounds interesting, there's a link below. Just click the we're hiring link. Yeah, check it out.
1: Awesome. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. Alex, thanks so much for your time. And I look forward to seeing you again at at, uh, maybe Emmerconf next year.
2: appreciate you having me on.
1: Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
2: bye Sam.
0: Let's go back to the um. You you were talking about like using GraphQL. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to that because that was one of the things I think that just blew both our minds.
1: Definitely. So because Gatsby um ends up with a bunch of index.html files basically, right? For all your different routes, um, but it still wants you to use the be able to use like the power of like React and like a dynamic environment to build your thing. So. It's not a runtime dynamic uh, app, so if you add a comment and reload the page, like it's not going to be there because there's no server there. Now you can make your React app like talk to a, a different server and pull data from it, but if you're strictly within Gatsby's architecture, um, the data that you provide to your site can come from like anywhere, but it's going to be uh, a build time thing. So you could imagine like Ember Maps website would actually be a great candidate for this because we change it, you know, a handful of times a week. We don't have comments on there right now. We used to, but we don't right now. And so there's actually nothing really real time that needs to be displayed on the site. Yeah. And even the stuff that is like, um, or the play like labels, you, I guess, now. Yeah.
0: That's a great example. Mm-hmm. Or like your billing information yep. or, you know, your teammates. That stuff we don't need to, um, Server render. We could load that in. Right. That could be like the client could be responsible for that sort of stuff. Right.
1: But like the pages, if you think about like all the videos and the podcast pages and the, the transcripts, page, yep. because they don't change that often, it's, you know, what we already do is basically pre-render those and put it in a cache. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gatsby would do that at build time. And um, let's say that we are providing all that data with an API. So the way Gatsby does this gets the data to actually pre-render your pages on in, in Node at build time. Is with a GraphQL API, and so Gatsby has APIs for, oh, here's how I go and fetch this data, and then I kind of do some normalization, and then I put it just in this what's called the um, what's it called the data? Um, can you hear me my phone while I'm thinking about this because I, I just want to look it up. It's over there, but it's called the it's called like the mesh. It's called like the data mesh. They have a name for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea behind the mesh is like you basically have. Um, Data sources from all over. You could pull data from your Rails API. You could also pull it from like flat files in your in your app in your source code, which is like what Dan Abramov's blog does, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to think about it as like a data provider, you know, and that you need to do a transform to get it from an API, from Google Docs, um, from flat files into the mesh. And the reason for that is because the way you actually get the data from the mesh to your app is with a GraphQL query. Yes. So just, just to like repeat
0: that back, like you're you're generating these static sites and you probably have some dynamic external data and your first thought might be like, oh, well, I'm gonna render these these um, video pages. So I'm gonna do like an Ajax request to Ember Maps API and then uh, run that Ajax request in Node. So it's really like a network request, but it goes to an API server, parses the JSON and then just inserts it into this uh, node app and that's how i generate the static content for my site right and then maybe i have um like comments from this third-party service so i'm going to use their plugin to pull out that data and it's going to somehow talk to that but this idea is like no your 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 app like your static site only pulls its data from one source and that's graphql the mesh content mesh is what they called it content mesh Mm -hmm. and then how you get data from all these other external services they all flow through their their job is not to put content in your HTML if that right. makes sense. Their job is to put content in this content mesh. Right. And then your HTML,
1: your React components have a great API for querying that that mesh. Totally. And um yeah it's pretty cool. And you know, I haven't used GraphQL a ton, but just reading kind of following vicariously people on Twitter over the years who have started using GraphQL One of the big places that it's been successful in companies is that, you know, companies that have multiple APIs, maybe legacy APIs, that makes it hard for the front-end developers to query. And there's a back-end team that basically is layering a GraphQL API on top of that and coalescing it all and providing a unified interface. And so that's basically taking that idea here, and it's like a great notion for it because instead of like writing a jack jekyll site and saying okay well we have a blog post coming from markdown files here's how you get those oh and then we'll have a comments coming from here here's how you get those oh and then also i want to get some metadata from like my package.json file so i can like show on my project site the version how many issues i have like maybe i'll query github's api and do that and instead of putting like a fetch call in your react component that hits github's api and then renders it you don't do that like you never do that you, you can but you that's that would be a runtime thing the way you do it the gaspy way is you create a new node function that is will run fetch in node query graph github's api and then take the issues let's say the issue count is what you want to display and put that into the content mesh it will add a node to the content mesh and then your react app will query like whatever you called it like it can now just query something called github and like issue count and that's something you just defined itself your, yourself
0: yeah and one of the one of the, the amazing things about this is this is such a good contract for like plugins authors of plugins and users of plugins so going mm-hmm. back to before like all this stuff is low level you're gonna have to install a whole bunch of plugins and, and configure them well then like basically if every plugin is putting its data into the mesh and use a developer pulling it out of this content mesh like, that's an awesome contract. That's right. a, you don't have to, like, oh, this plugin does it like this, exactly. It does it like this. And I, um, when I was searching around for plugins, I found one that, like, pulls... Um, it's, like, gets your images that already exist on S3 and lets you use them in, in, in your Gatsby app. And they did this whole... They have this whole spiel about, like, oh, it's actually going to go through GraphQL and you're just going to pull everything out through Gra- GraphQL. And they were sort of, like, defending this thing and they were saying like, well, why not just query the, the AWS API directly from like your, your front end code? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff we just talked about. But I loved I loved when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like this is awesome. I already know how to use, right. use the GraphQL, the use static query. Right, right, right. Um, this is so cool. And that made me really excited. Because you
1: just get to leverage that existing knowledge no yeah, matter what.
0: Yeah, and I don't care that like, yeah, I don't like, yes, I could use AWS's JavaScript to, to query it directly, right. but I don't care. Like this right. is so much nicer. And the fact that like the add-on author is
1: like pushing me towards this, right. it, like feels really good. That's awesome. So the way it happened for me was like doing that snippets thing. And I wanted to use Prism to manually highlight it in JavaScript. So like the kind of default markdown way we were doing that, I, w- I was just kind of hacking on something myself because I wanted a little more control and I had to get the snippets files and their contents into a place where I could query them so that I could like run Prism at runtime and highlight them, basically, is what I was trying to do. And I did the same thing where it's like, you know, I was trying to think, oh, how do I do this in add-on docs? How do I do this in my Ember add-ons? And here there was just a node function where I get to like create a new node as part of the mesh. But like other than that, it's kind of on my own. And I was like, okay, well, I, I'm in node and I can use like fs.read sync and I can read in the contents. And that's all I care about right now. So I'll just throw that contents onto a node. And then we haven't even mentioned this fact, which is the fact that to query it, you use GraphQL, but there's a viewer built into Gatsby develop. And so what you do is like Gatsby develop pulls up your site at localhost 8,000. And then if you go to like localhost 8,000 slash underscore graphical or something, you get like the graphical thing. And now like no matter what plugin you install, no matter what custom node you write, node code you write, you now just see your whole API. It's discoverable. You can just click on things and you just use that thing. Oh, okay, I want to get all of the files, but I want to filter them by their path and make sure that there's a snippets in it. Okay, so I'm going to do that. And I'm just getting feedback the whole time. And it's discoverable. I don't even have to look up how to do it because it's just discoverable, you know? And then you can, you can write the whole query without
0: typing a single keystroke. Yeah. Well, I mean you, you will you will, but <laughs> yes, exactly. You would type out like the dynamic parts, but you can click stuff, open right. stuff up. It's yes. I mean just the fact that you can
1: query and filter by regex, and I didn't know that, and I didn't have to go read about that. I could just do it by clicking a few things. And then I want the name of the file, the name of the snippet, which is the file name in this case. And um, which like Gatsby also does a great job at just like exposing all of like the stat information on a file on the file system level to the API. So you just already have that stuff. And then the contents, which is what I manually added as a node, and then I just, yeah, the query was done, throw it in my React app, and now I'm, like, able to just work with that stuff at runtime and render it with Prism. So that whole process really blew me away just because of the Broccoli work and the Ember CLI work I have done. And, um, you know, the architecture being there is good, but, like, just the, the fact that usually, again, there's a lot more time involved with, like, doing code search or looking at how I've done this before, the kind of self Documenting discoverability aspects of it and just that abstraction point, everything goes in the mesh, whether it's comments and blog posts or whether it's like a plugin that's transforming, it's all the same, you know. Whereas when you talk about normally how to get data into an app, there's many different ways. Um, so I really like that part of it. It was really, I, I was like blown away by that.
0: Yeah. I similar to your
1: experience, I
0: um was working on our SEO images, so one of the things was like the OG. Uh, image tag mm-hmm. and um having an image that was that was on the file system but then was put into that content mesh and me mm-hmm. be able being able to query it and then resize it and optimize it uh was pretty amazing
1: yeah just through the query and, yeah and just and i only use like the visual builder to do this it, it, but it showed like width and so you knew you had that available to yes. you so you could just click width and say okay and i type in want 150
0: pixels exactly it felt like um that's crazy it felt like programming without programming so yeah. like programming through like a, a gui or ui yeah but it also didn't f- whenever you think of that you always think of like like something really dumb right yeah, like like yeah, something yeah. that's like talking down to you it's like oh drag the if statement over here oh dude like it's it's like childish almost where this there were there were, you know, there were just a ton of things exposed. There was no nothing. Yeah, it was like, the
1: opposite, you felt like it was you were more empowered and more powerful and you could do more than if you were just sitting at a blank terminal screen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I
0: didn't feel like they were treating me as someone that didn't know how to program, mm. but I also felt like I was programming without programming. Yeah. Um, so that was that that was really cool.
1: I think it's also interesting because, you know, I think when we have talked about GraphQL in the past or read about it or watched talks about it. We, we always think about it as compared to REST, right? Because we write REST APIs, we like relational databases and REST is basically like exposing a relational graph over an API, building something it with something like Rails and um, MySQL. It's like for us, there's a lot that's very well understood about that. And especially when GraphQL first came out, some of the ways that people talk about it make it seem like it's GraphQL versus REST, which is implicitly gonna trigger you and be like, Oh, but like there's all these guarantees I get with relational data stores, and like there's so much well understood, and now we're just going to throw that all away. I think after working with GraphQL in the context of Gatsby, you know, I realized that's not really the right way to think about GraphQL or even um, as a comparison with REST necessarily. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, which is like if you were going to make a low level primitive and you had this idea for a content mesh, which is like, okay, we want a vibrant, plugin ecosystem to exist and therefore we want one way to get data into a single source and one way to get it out um then immediately like it's not about like rest versus graphql is kind of not the right question like you are if you were going to design that low level primitive you would be thinking about like the most flexible query language and you'd be thinking about something that doesn't have like conventions and constraints because like you this is purposefully low level and extensible and so like even though I love REST and want relational graphs of data for my applications, like this felt so perfect for this. Like I was adding custom nodes that I was calling anything; they were showing up in the graphical viewer, and there's no schema there, like that is relational or in the normal way of. And it, but it's it was fine; it made total sense. Yep,
0: that right there was. By the way, that was great because when you're saying that, like people, we know a ton about REST. We've been building relational apps. GraphQL comes out, and we're we have that yeah that triggered reaction. Yeah. And I think that gets like, um, the reason that comes out is because when folks are talking about GraphQL, they're not talking about the stuff you just said. They're not talking about like, oh, how could we build a discoverable schema? How can we build like this this, uh, graphical interface to to get the progressive disclosure? Instead, they're saying things like... uh, REST
1: over sends data. Or, you know, REST, every time you want to add new data, you have to add a new endpoint. Yes, exactly. You know, all those things. And
0: our response to that would be like, no, you just you're just designed an awful REST API and you're blaming your problems on REST. But it's not REST's fault. But yes, this is a real argument. Right. It's
1: like these lower level things that get exposed. Yes. Right. Really well said. So it's thank you. So I, I just think it's more like, you know, again, I think people can go too low level and not understand. Like this happens to me all the time. I come across tools all the time and i'm like i hate the person who wrote i hate you because you're like making me type in awk or said or grep and i'm like i have no idea what i'm doing right now like do you not care but you have no empathy for me at all then it's like the ember size like the flip of that where you have total empathy with like what you're trying to do but you you don't again it's like an honest admission about what you can accomplish and like let's expose the lower let's make some sacrifices on the higher level, nice API stuff, so that we can just be honest and say, like, we need to expose lower level stuff. So I just think that's really interesting, and that's probably going to be like a theme that just is probably going to keep coming up for the rest of my career. In the sense that, like, that's such a hard balance to know. That is basically like, I mean, it's it's another way to say that is how do you write good abstractions? Yeah, and this <laughs> is, it applies to code as well. You know, I'm I'm even thinking about kind of the UI components that we played around with in our app a year or two ago and how we're writing tailwind now and a lot of the same lessons apply where it's like let's be there's a dose of humility sometimes that says like you know ryan or even sam six months from now is going to be building a new site for an email course and he's going to be using your title thing and you haven't thought about something so what is he going to do when he hits the case that you haven't thought of yeah you know what i mean yeah
0: not let's try to think of that case and solve it but yeah Let's what, what acknowledge
1: is that we won't be able to because the problem space is so hard. And so what is the escape hatch from now? Like, what is that escape hatch? And let's build that first. And then if there's a t- point in time where you've had stable software for two or three years and no one's ever used an escape hatch, that's great. Then you don't document right. it anymore. And, you know, no one ever needs to have that ugly API or whatever.
0: You know, it's funny. Like, I can recognize this stuff after the fact and I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. But at the time... Of writing code or writing an abstraction i can never get this right like i don't have like a little rule that right I can, a little saying like I can we're about to head.
1: publish a new version of storefront okay what happens when someone runs into something using query like find records and they need you know to use something that's not an attribute or a relationship like maybe that's all it takes right it's just asking those questions before you do it like maybe there's a way to ask a question like okay what happens when this is not like there's a new situation for this use case
0: yeah i feel like that i have like 20 years of build up of like trying to predict that situation and then trying to solve it before i publish a new version where it's like i have to reframe the right the thinking
1: because that's what programmers are so good at right one of the things that programmers are so good at is like thinking about every edge case and all the contingencies i mean think about the Just that picture of like programmers in a room with product people and and, and users and the owner of the company. And they're like, all right, well, let's make a page with like an email form and sign in. It's going to look exactly like this. The programmer's going to be like, okay, what happens if they put an an invalid email address? Or what happens if their internet connection goes down, right? Because we deal with that stuff all the time. So it's almost like we pride ourselves on knowing every possible contingency. But then, like, when you think about exposing these like low level libraries that are going to be used in so many use cases. Then it's like you really want to ask that question of like what about what are the things we're not thinking of?
0: Maybe it's like something like um, if you're going to add an abstraction to your application, uh, maybe there's a question that's like, well, if my users of this library wanted to recreate this abstraction, how would they do it? Mm. And then that kind of lets you know like how well does your abstraction decompose? Yep. Yep. And and maybe the answer isn't like oh they take a one line call and turn it into a two line call, but maybe Maybe it's it's
1: one to four or something yeah or maybe
0: it's like they can you know copy and paste the entire function and it's 10 lines totally but it's like how if they were to recreate this abstraction uh because they need to change something internal to it how would they do that and there there's things about storefront that's like Oh crap. As they're, soon as you go
1: down, then you're done. Like as soon as you don't. go down
0: one level, it's like they're gonna have to recreate a service. Right. They're gonna have to do I, I actually That's like really Ember good. Data. Ember data is good here too. It's like if if um if you need to change something about the identity map in Ember Data, like how much code would that would it take to recreate that? Right. The answer is
1: a lot. Right, right. Storefront we has um like record queried and record queries. And that's always been implementation details. But you could totally imagine that being the low level thing that you expose and here's how we use it to build up load records and load all exactly our load record.
0: Right. And if you need to change the behavior, how load yeah. record works, just because something is is, is non-standard, it, yeah. but yeah. you 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 have this problem, you need to do it. Well the the answer would be like the answer would be we don't support that, but that's not the the question should be how much what would they have to duplicate to actually do this?
1: Yeah. And if you expose the lower level things then you do support it, it just takes more work. Yep. So that's 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 those are the two trade-offs. We don't support it, let's open a, an, an issue and track the feature request and deliberate how best to do this, or like admission that we hadn't thought about that when we first wrote this so he can just drop down to this thing. Yeah. Actually Ember Animated does a really good job at this because if you look at how animated if, animated value and um, like animated orphans are implemented, there are like four or six lines, basically the gist of them, that use animated each under the hood. So like animated if is just an animated each with animated each is like the primitive thing and yep. the rest are built on top of it. So that's a great example where animated each is actually the escape patch for those things. And you can use it in a more powerful way in other situations. Then the question becomes like, okay, what about animated each? How is that implemented? And, you know, what's underneath there and how much would it retake take to recreate that in my app? so that I have access to these lower level things as well. So like, that's a really interesting point. And so, yeah, Gatsby feels like really mostly low level things and then a few high level things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But those low level things let you kind of build on top of it. So it's pretty, it's pretty much weighted in that direction, but that makes sense given their goals and and the goals of the project. Um, And I, and I also think like, I think the lesson and one of the takeaways for me is like, even if your goal is to provide a high-level thing, you should think you should think hard about your unwillingness to expose the low-level things because that might threaten the sustainability and viability of your project. Because if you don't, it's going to be on you to build everything, and yeah. so and you're going to get burned out. And you're going to get burned <laughs> out, <laughs> or you're just not going to. Yeah, you're just not going to. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Adam did this with Tailwind. T- Tailwind had a container class. In the pre-1.0 version. And it was the only thing that was not a utility, basically. And so he's like, wait a second. There's, like, something here. So now it's a plugin. It's the only default plugin. But there's a whole plugin system that you can use to recreate container or any other, um, like, multi-utility class that you want. Cool. And plugins let you do a lot more stuff. But that's partly where that came from. Because it was like, I want to provide a container class. Like, container feels good but it also is like higher level than this stuff. And how would you recreate this or, yeah. And so that's like, that's a great example.
0: You know, it's funny. And the things that we're talking about today, tailwind Gatsby Mirage, they're, they've all kind of this idea of like plugin or yeah. middleware yeah. thing. So maybe that's like one little thing. It's like how I don't want to provide a plugin system because I just want to solve people's problems. Yep. But um, not saying you should do this for every library, but what would it look like if right. my library provided a plugin system? Yep
1: yep i also think uh, i was just going to say that like you also don't have to it's not it has to be the end of the world like you don't have to sit there and oh now you have a whole new thing to think about um how am i going to expose these lower level things like just take a page out of the book that all these people are doing whether it's even like gulp and grunt or ember with add-ons right or rails with engines like the notion of like an add-on or a plugin thing usually applies to like many different situations. You know, um, with Ember CLI Deploy, it was like instead of providing ways to do all the things, we're just going to define the pipeline with the five steps and a common interface, so that the plugins can take care of it. And um, again, Mirage, I could just instead of having to, I don't have to like try to think. On my own about the best way to do this mirage is a server how does normal servers handle this middleware like middleware is like a very established way that's composable it's a common interface and um you could provide like third-party middlewares very easily so it's very easy to think how that would work um so um i think there's something there where it's like you don't have to think about it on your own either just take a look at the things that are working very well and um copy those you know So, um, yeah, Gatsby's really cool. So, I guess we've answered the question that was in the back of my mind, which is, like, should Mirage become, like, this <laughs> lower-level thing that is has, you know, a better, well-defined interface? And I think the answer is yes. Also, like, we've kind of been ragging on Ember a little bit, but, like, I think Dave totally, you know, the whole keynote this year at EmberComp was basically about this point. The whole idea behind um, rationalizing the primitives And exposing lower level things and allowing more experimentation like this is something that we've also learned being in the Ember community and the lessons that the Ember community has learned um, from the fact that they do have such awesome, ambitious goals to make an amazing developer experience. But the reality is like the problem turns out to be 100x harder than they thought or or whoever thought originally. And so um, I think that's what a lot of people are learning. But then again, it's still threading that needle. Like One of the reasons Vue is so popular, I think, is because it provides a nice high level experience um that maybe was missing from like just react i know a lot of people like vue who felt react and its ecosystem was low level so you know there's a balance and high level apis when they work are really really nice and make you feel really productive i've always felt like that with rails i've my usage of rails i've never basically run into a situation where it's like yes same i mean I'm stuck and um, now some rails libraries maybe but like rails itself um yeah it's never been like and there's so much there that's going on that i have no idea about because i learn things on a need-to-know basis and the servers i write usually i just barely get them by or i just let you write them <laughs> no but for real I, I you know i've used rails in a very constrained way and so the high-level apis have always served me and that's been a really great experience you know it's, you it's know, it even goes it's, to the dns and the netlify stuff we were talking about like you know it's it's uh you need to use a subset of like the power of like DNS and hosting and stuff and you can really optimize that and if you don't ever hit an edge case that you need to go to lower level then it's like great yeah
0: you know it's inter- I, you talking about rails and i I kind of have this question like is rails is rails like the last ORM that you need and I think I think the answer there is is close to yes. yeah
1: I think so too um, I, I think so
0: too. And so I think that's because like, a lot
1: of times and sorry to cut you off, but like yeah. a lot of times in Rails with like its data modeling and people are like, oh, Rails doesn't handle this thing. But usually your problem is better served. I've never had a problem that wasn't better served by like restructuring the data in a way that fit within Rails domain model because it's extremely flexible. It doesn't let you do anything, but that's the point. And it's usually better to do it like that. And um, so that to me is like the answer.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not. Can you come up with an edge case where right. this won't work? It's just, is, do we need to totally rethink the ORM? Right. I think the answer there is no. I think right. Active Record is nice and battle tested. Right. So, I, just along those lines, there's a lot of, of stuff in the front end world where we can't say yes to. Like, is Fastboot the last server side rendering? The answer there is no. Mm-hmm. There's so much. It's not, this isn't a, a, a dig on Fastboot. There's just so much about server side rendering that, like, we just we haven't explored yeah. yeah exactly yeah
1: well even like what now is doing where they're like splitting your app on route so like now think it takes a position that like your app shouldn't even be responsible for like navigation from a top level entry point to like specific route because that is a fundamental bottleneck so it might turn out the way we write applications is completely different yeah where you don't your application doesn't have a router because of some now i don't necessarily think that's true or like necessarily think that's might be like the one size but anyway the point is like that's something that hasn't been fully explored and that's something that they're working on but that's a that would that would really change a lot about this stuff
0: yeah and so that the answer there is like are we done with routing is there a last router no um so it's interesting it's like those are the things that it's like storefront the last um you know declarative data loading right. thing. And the answer there is like obviously <laughs> no. Obviously no. So so those are the things that maybe we should think more about the escape hatches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. and then if we're we're feeling better about like yes to those questions and maybe it's like okay let's let's really
1: tighten up the API, and make it yeah. high level. That is interesting. And it's also interesting just playing with GraphQL the way we have and like and thinking about the parts of Ember data and, and storefront that we like with the declarative data fetching and stuff. And It feels like there's a huge gap there, but it also feels like GraphQL is flexible, but it doesn't let you write the kind of code you want to be writing all the time. There, so there's still unanswered questions there as opposed, as far as things like the identity map and dealing with stale data go, right? It yeah. yep. <clears throat> doesn't really have an answer for that. So it feels like there are missing primitives, definitely missing primitives as far as giving you an expressive way to express your data needs and how how long you can go displaying stale data and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yep. So, um, but yeah, very, very interesting. Lots of things.
0: Bring, bring it back to Gatsby yep. for, for a second. I, um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I was super happy with like the whole experience and, um, I was thinking of like other websites we've built in the past. Where like this would have been an awesome tool to have. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of touched on Ember Map. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a site like I built a few years ago that um, would pull like it was like a Rails app that would download all this data. And then like, you know, it was just Rails views that to render it all. And I was thinking like, man, like this would have been great in Gatsby. No database. yeah I, I mean this app did have a database but, you wouldn't have needed it, wouldn't but I wouldn't needed. need it I I only need if I only had the database at like build time or deploy time right. I would have been fine. Right. Um and so right. there's definitely like there's like all these apps that I, it, it felt cool like oh
1: man if this was around then I would have they used would have it. solved the real problem. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So, that's cool. Yeah, the idea the idea I mean there's so much that's kind of going through my mind right now but like it's just it's interesting thinking about how what enables the Gatsby way of building things is how often your data changes. You wouldn't use Gatsby to build Slack because you wouldn't rebuild it every time a message got sent. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? And so it doesn't make sense for that. So it's not like the one true architecture, yes. certainly not. Yes. But um, there's a spectrum, and once the data can be changed so in this infrequently, then it can you can benefit a lot from the simplicity of it.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's true, like you know, every app over time is going to have data that is going to end up changing more frequently and other data that's not right and i wonder like does that disqualify you from gatsby or does does gatsby need like a minimum
1: like it certainly is a little like something to consider the fact that like if you start off with a site that changes infrequently but then you want to add comments or played labels like if ember map was a site and we wanted to add the played labels feature which we just added You know what would you do there you would just it would have to be all client side yeah but then you have two ways of like loading data. like you you have two ways of doing everything so and and we're using a tool that's not meant
0: for what we're
1: trying to do i mean you know we do fast boot and cache the public parts of all of our sites so that bots can render them and they're fast on load so that would equivalently basically be what gatsby would be responsible for so that's makes sense it's just it kind of reminds you how nice it is like if you're runtime generation of the page which is dynamic like something like a vanilla rails app with a database can actually make the site fast enough at request time there's something beautiful about that because you can just keep going with it and um like it can get you you won't ever have to say no to things because you have a database and you have like a fresh paint of the thing at request time like there's actually something very beautiful about that architecture because you can add anything that's fully dynamic to it. You have maximum flexibility. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you can see her the,
0: the ship in any direction. So yes. yeah, yeah, that's true. If I, if I knew I was building a content site, then yes, Gatsby. But if it's like, Oh, I'm building an app, but it doesn't really change that much. Then maybe, maybe I would say no to Gatsby right. then because the mental model is an app and there could right. always be,
1: Oh, can you add this? Oh, just a dashboard with this little value that shows us the latest, whatever, you know, yeah. And I'm it's sure, nice.
0: I'm sure there's ways you can shoehorn it in, yeah. but, but yeah, you want to be able, you want that flexibility, that optionality.
1: Yeah. It's like the meta conversation here is like rails is the high level app architecture thing. And then the lower level thing is like, Oh, you have an Ember app or a view app or a react app and you have an API server and you have like a content server. And it's like, you want the high level thing that lets you keep going and you can go down to those pieces when you want. But right now there's a huge switching cost. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like you want, it's like what we have, like you want the node, you want the cache that is like generated by node and then it like, but but it busts if you change it, but you don't have to like completely change your architecture to get that. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. That's great because yeah, something like, slack you have to make all those architectural decisions up front and you want the tool that just lets you slowly opt into
1: them as you need them exactly and the problem with rails while it's like a good thing for server rendered apps is like it, it can't build slack with it like if you do there's not a nice layering story it's a whole new way of doing it to get something like whatever you're using stimulus or turbo links or whatever it is it's not the same yeah you want to start with like the I, I mean, this goes without saying, but it's
0: not. You can't do it yes, in this tech. Yes, yes, it's yes, it's yes. is this uh, I'm the happy I'm for path. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or are you going to pull your hair out?
1: It's pretty interesting if like there's a there'd be a happy path solution that's like on the one hand, static site on the other, like Slack. And there's like just smooth from one to the other. And you would never have to like completely change your architecture. You know, there's a database, but it can be cached, and it can be a flexible query language, but it can be, you know, it can be yeah. cached. So it can be fast for things that are like static or we can preload this part of the page and do this at the client. But like it's always just
0: I mean, I think I think the answer here is is
1: UI apps that do a good job emulating server rendered yes. apps because UI apps can do all this they don't have no limitations as far as that is concerned
0: the problem with ui apps are the things that we always talk about on this podcast but you know like you have to have two apps and two code bases all this all this stuff and there's just little death by a thousand cuts everywhere but if we can if we can smooth out all those things i think i think ui apps win
1: yeah i like that i like ui apps that's like a good way to think about it. Although like everyone, wouldn't everyone say they're building a UI app, but I guess not really. I think we, we need SP, you know. so UI apps. No, 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 no. Yeah. We need some acronym. We need something like yeah. UIA.
0: <laughs> I don't know. This is why you don't be write be the marketing cool. copy for it's our project. Co- it's got to be cool and trendy. <laughs> it has to be something that you can say to meet up and everyone's like, oh, what's that? I haven't it's heard of that. Yeah. Jam.
1: And it's true. Like uh, <laughs> it's true. Like SPA. I just, I just, I'm more of a jelly stack guy, but you do you. <laughs> SPA is implementation detail; it's not the point. The point is is like uh, there's something that UI apps get at a little bit more closely, but it's not quite right. But it's like, yeah, you're building something that you're using a tool that could build something. We've been rambling for like three it's hours, been right? So good. <laughs> if you're still listening to this podcast, you're your ideal customer. Yeah, so. yeah, we've cast a spell on you somehow. If you can build things app like Things app on Mac. It's like not that's like a, to me is like a great example of something like Slack is crazy. Slack is crazy. It's crazy complex, It's like multi-user, you know, real time, all this crazy stuff. Things to me is a nice litmus test of the question is the technology you're using capable of building like a UI app, right? Because like things has lots of very nice, rich, subtle interaction and animation you know it's one user so like that's i mean it it works on the on the phone and stuff so there's like multiple clients there that's not really the point the point i'm making is like it would be hard to reproduce that with like a rails app but you do obviously want a database because it's it's a crud app so you you know that 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 um disqualifies like a static react app that's like could be used for like an svg viewer right or generator or gradient generator because there's no content Behind it, it's not persistent so things is like a persistent app but it has a very rich nice um ui and so like what's the technology you can use to build that in a way that's like very easy and doesn't have two app problem and doesn't have all that stuff so like that's what i want that's the kind of app i want to i want to build websites that feel a lo- more like those like that kind of app
0: It's really good there's there's you're not over complicating it but there is there's
1: persistence right there's being used on multiple computers. Because I think those are like the main things, you know. When you look at most of the web apps that people are working on, those are the main things that you need. And like the stuff that's really crazy, okay, we can just ignore that for now. Let's just ignore that for yeah, now. And fine. if you need that, if you need to use Elixir, you know, because you need whatever you're building WhatsApp, that's fine. I'm okay with saying that my stack doesn't cover that case. But like vanilla Rails app doesn't cover my case either. Yeah, good crud story, good animations. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely. It's really the back end piece that's like missing a big part of it. Anyways, we can talk about this for the next five hours. So, All right, Mirage, miragejs.com. Yeah. Check yep. it out. That'll be ready, even if we are we might be tired God, next week. You just week. winced <laughs> so hard. Because I know I'm going to hate it whenever we launch it. I'm just going to hate everything about it because I've already been like staring at like these stupid little details and I just hate them. It. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just going to suck. Man, I, I, I pulled up the the site on my retina uh
0: laptop uh and it was it was beautiful i mean it really was just the fonts everything was it's so sharp and i was That's all the stuff i didn't do <laughs> I, I no, seriously i was just like man i'm so happy that we're like so happy this the, the way this looks nice. i think it's really easy to yeah last week we were discussing fonts and i think it's really easy to say use system fonts right and go for a little worse design and and i just was like man i'm really happy we listen to the designers yeah 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 because it
1: looks beautiful nice all right well we'll see how the next week goes i'll be <laughs> back with some coffee in a week and hopefully mirage miragejs.com will be live nice <laughs> all right everyone thanks for joining us see ya see ya